Welcome to Stories in the Landscape Conversations on StoryArchaeology.com. This is just one of the conversations with the Gifted Irie Project Competition winners. So today I get to talk with Irie Competition winner Louise Shine, who created a stunning and creative image of the Morrigan. Its sense of fluidity and movement is impressive. But first, Louise, tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for having the chat with me today. Uh, yeah, I just I really enjoyed make, uh, the process of making that work. A little bit about myself. Uh, I'm a visual artist based in County Roscommon. I moved back here about five years ago and I've just kind of been working in the arts and education sector, I suppose, for the last while. I have a background in printmaking from the Limerick School of Art and Design. And yeah, I suppose I've experimented with lots of different ways of making art over the over the years, over the many, many, many years. I'm, I'm 39 now, so I've... <laughs> a lot of mileage under my belt, you know. Lots, lots of experience. Lots of experience, yeah, absolutely. Um, jack of all trades, I suppose you could, you could call me, or someone who wears many hats is another another way of describing it, I suppose. But I was really excited to enter the competition because it was a chance to kind of experiment with, uh, like experiment and kind of work towards a brief, you know. But yeah. Yeah, so that's a little bit about well, me. What, is you, what sort of art have you been working on over the past year or so then? When I moved back to Athlone, I was, saw it as an opportunity to kind of re- regain a little bit of connection with my creative practice. So for the last year or so, maybe more, maybe two years, I've been working with cyanotypes. It's really exciting because I, I'm a person who likes a process. Cyanotypes are basically, it's if you think of photosensitive ink and then you put it on paper let it dry and then you put it out into the sunshine Mm -hmm. or uv sensitive like lamp or whatever and then um, it kind of burns in an image onto the photosensitive um, ink and then you wash it away and you get this lovely ghost-like kind of um image Mm -hmm. it's just lovely it's so it's so so interesting i mean you can pick like an old bit of a flower off the off the side of the road flatten it and stick it on some cyanotype paper and then in half an hour you're going to get like this lovely kind of ghost image of this flower you know or whatever it is like it's very accessible that's fascinating well i had plans on doing a few this summer but i so far it's (laughs) it's not working out so well for me like do you know what it's kind of as long as you've got plenty of sunshine certainly not in the last few weeks absolutely it's been atrocious i think i might do a residency in a a sunny country next year and get the cyanotypes going (laughs) Not a bad idea. Now, Louise, I know we have some things in common, particularly we're both actively or have been actively involved in education. We have, yeah. I Like, like I said, I moved back to Athlone five, six years ago and I was trying to get, as I said, more in, in touch with my creativity. I'd been, I'd been living in Belfast for 11 years, so I was kind of out of the loop. I, you know, I hadn't been in Athlone for a long, long time. And then I found this program called the Teacher Artist Partnership Program through the Atlone Education Centre. Uh, it started off as a week-long series of fantastic workshops and classes with other artists and teachers from all different schools. Mm-hmm. And then I was linked up with schools in the Midlands to collaborate on a creative project. And it was just amazing. That's great. Then the Teacher Artist Partnership kind of led on to other projects. I realise that we're really not so far away from each other. I'm in Leitrim and you're, you're, you're a bit further into the Midlands than I am. But uh, I'm surprised. 
realise we haven't met up. I've worked with so many different schools, but it's just the way it is. I think it's just a timeline thing, really. I suppose if I'd started a little bit earlier, we would have crossed paths. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I hear about artists in schools and the schools that I'm going to, but I'm doing something different. So I sort of hear, oh, we had a really good artist in. I've probably come across your work without realising that uh, we were going to have a connection. I know, yeah. It's, it's so much fun working in schools. Creativity is so important to me. Didn't you also mention that you were... Uh, had been or were an SNA. Yeah, I it all started through the art like I was I was doing these projects and I was kind of working in mainstream schools and um interacting with um kids who have additional needs and 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 interacting with the SNAs and the teaching staff. It piqued my interest in becoming an SNA, so I went off and got the qualification and I'm just I'm, I'm working full time as a, as an SNA now and to kind of doing the art on the side, but I definitely rely on my on my creativity every day. <laughs> when I'm working as an SNA, do you know what I mean? I find it really interesting and just viewing how someone else sees the world. Like you definitely need your creativity to work uh, alongside students who um, see the world in a different way. When we talked the other day, you were talking about the importance of humour and surprise and making spaces mm -hmm. for non-directive yeah. open responses. Oh, totally. Like I love to encourage any and all kinds of divilment in the classroom do you know <laughs> uh, I, I love a good creative giggle inducing icebreaker do you know it gets the kids to think outside the box and I, I suppose I'd be a big fan of just kind of outlining the activity and letting them letting the kids choose how they want to respond to that activity like so it gives them a real sense of agency and it, and, it, and it gets them having a buy-in you know as well to the to the project as a whole oh i just so agree with you if you catch the imagination by surprise mm. it kind of opens the door and gives the imagination free reign apart from that like approaching something from a sense of humor is an area i'm really really comfortable in, in. Mm -hmm. a lot of my earlier work had a playfulness and an element of humor for for the viewer and i suppose when i show the kids my work on those first meetings it's always interesting to see them pick up on that element of humor and that kind of element of ridiculousness and um, one of the images i show them is um from a book called shindogu and it's the japanese art of useless invention and i just pick a I pick an image and i'm like you know I get them to discuss mm -hmm. it and it's just always interesting to see that they are completely kind of enamored by the ridiculousness of the whole of the whole scenario like it's just really funny <laughs> but it's like no let's go with that what do you want to make get the paper out get the pens out like what do you want to invent try it out <laughs> do you know we are absolutely on the same way same wavelength one of my favorite drama creative writing activities is based on a poem called the vault of unwanted inventions mm. And it's got anything in it, like there's the uh, the rhubarb detector, the scarf for cold Oh, this soup. is exactly this. You need to look up Shindogu, the Japanese art of useless invention. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so how did you develop your particular interest in art? Oh, so, I mean, like my background is in, in printmaking, which I wasn't particularly great at, to be honest. But my tutors were really supportive of experimenting and, and all that. I can remember I got like I got a loan of a, a, a video recorder and started making these short films about dreams that I was having. Some of my work was just about how ridiculous dreams can be. And that's where the humour com comes in. And, you know, the tutors were just like, you need to be doing more of this. The printmaking doesn't matter. <laughs> I just I just went with that. So I'm a printmaker who doesn't 
who doesn't print. But even before that, further back, art and, and drawing and, and being out in nature and reading was something I, I loved. I just found it was my happy place. And I suppose if we're talking about how I got into art, there were all these kind of like children's encyclopedias and there were all these fantastic illustrations about how things work like the human body and, and all these figures that were in action like doing a long jump and, and, and all these kind of fantastically illustrated images of movement and the human body and that's where I started to kind of copy down things and I got really really good at copying things do you know what I mean? <laughs> well look let's move on mm. I, I was thinking you you did enter a competition celebrating and promoting women in Irish mythology. So there's another question I want to ask. How and when did you find your interest in the Irish stories? Honestly, I suppose it all started with the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. um, I remember, like, my uncle bought me this book, Bible Stories. And I was always way more interested in the Old Testament because it had, like giant fish and like all these really fantastical stories well there you are you've answered my question yeah. i i was in a family which delivered a lot of bible teaching shall we say and i became fascinated by the stories of the old testament it was mythology mm. there were giants yeah. there were uh, strange happenings the sun stopping in the sky the, yeah, you know, the walls very... falling down and i got kind of interested in that mythological quality so yeah i can i can understand exactly what mm, you mean mm. oh totally like I, I, like I suppose when you're growing up with that as well, and I, like, you know, I had a fairly Catholic upbringing, like, so you're learning all about these kind of things in school and, mm. and preparing yourself for the sacraments and all that kind of crack. And, but then also, like, we're learning, you know, right beside it, we're learning about Satanta and, and all these other kind of, this other world that had nothing to do with kind of the, the religion side of it, like, you know, so it's just well, so interesting. <laughs> well, once you're interested in mythology, it's not surprising. I also got, I was also obsessed with sci-fi and things like that. You know, Hugely. it's all this speculative quality. Yeah. What if? Uh, something yeah. bigger and larger than life, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I, I will always remember watching Jason and the Argonauts oh! for the first time and thinking, just fantastic. Look at them skeletons go. Oh, I'm sorry. You have just named my very favourite film. I went to see it when I was around 13 and I went to see it three times in a week. You're lying. Because I, love I loved it, I love it so much. It's Harryhausen effects. Yeah. They're absolutely fantastic. But they're amazing. Like, they're amazing. Uh, I, but, I, you know, that's why I love <laughs> sci-fi and really old horror movies with ketchup for blood yeah. you know what i mean like before it was cgi i just thought it was fantastic yeah do you know oh it's it's fun uh, so i suppose yeah um <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, we have a similar background it starts with the old testament it goes on to sci-fi and the next thing you're into world mythology and uh then I discovered the Irish mythology, but I came to it as world mythology. Of course, I didn't experience it in school growing up in England. I don't ever remember learning about the Morrigan specifically, actually. I, it was all kind of Finn McCool, Satanta, like Chirnanog and all that kind of crap. I, I never remember the Morrigan. I don't think we learned about the Morrigan at all. No, unfortunately, there are just a few stories that go into the readers and uh, and they're not always the best ones. Yes, I mean, the childhood of Cahullan. You have um, Finn McCool and the mm. Salmon of Wisdom and then you have perhaps uh, yeah. Diamond and Grania or, um, yeah. Yeah, or the Children of Lear, which is a late mm. and 
rather depressing story. But there's so many others. Who ever's heard of Fergus MacLager and how he stuff the herbs in his ear and can walk on the bottom of the sea until he meets a pest. You know, or the the poet, Athenia the Unsociable. You're going to have to write a list for for me now on all these ones you just said. Honestly, I'm I'm invested now. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. They are all on story archaeology and I've created versions based on old texts for children because it's just such a shame Mm. Oh, totally, like, you know, and it's always nice to be able to look up this this Irish mythology and kind of find more information about it. I think because of where you live, you you became more conscious of uh, the position of women in Irish mythology because of what happened in Athlone that Ralph got involved in a couple of years ago. Yes. So the... Yeah, the contentious sculpture was <laughs> erected in Athlone, the um, the Shannon, you know, the, the the goddess of the river Shannon. I I had no idea that the the Shannon like had a, a kind of representation <laughs> in Irish mythology. So. It's a long story and uh, there's so much to it. But this story of how Shannon, her story Mm. was kind of mashed up in the 19th century. But she's really not very known. And she's a very ancient figure. And it's amazing. Yeah, like like, and that's kind of what kind of piqued my interest as well, because this is kind of all taking place around lockdown. And we're kind of, I don't know, maybe we're just all getting more connected with the... Like with the landscape we, we, us, we were know? missing going with out the into the landscape suddenly the stories in the landscape we become even more important oh they do exactly like you know so i suppose you know having it was a contentious subject anyway um for this statue of uh shinnan uh which wasn't a female at all so it was the erasure of of truth, I suppose you could you could say is erasing a truth there, you know. And well, it was and certainly, uh, uh, shall we say, a, a neoclassical image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. You know, and I, I pass yeah, by it, it often. You know, it's often, shameful, isn't it? It's shameful. Kind of, you know, I've stopped looking at it. <laughs> I just refuse to look at it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it it like it doesn't even look. It doesn't even look. Celtic, you know what I mean? And you know, I think it should harp to some element of 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 our Celtic heritage. You know what I mean? But it just doesn't look like it at all. You know, it's exactly the opposite. Yeah. In fact, it's a copy of the uh, river god image on, on the, the custom cost, yeah, house exactly, in Dublin, yeah. uh, which was a symbol of neoclassical colonialism. Yeah, yeah. it just yeah, it, and it just doesn't it doesn't belong there. Like it just simply doesn't. <laughs> I just feel it doesn't belong there. It doesn't look like it has anything to do with the river or the Shannon, like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> We've already discussed your playful approach to creativity and your delight in the unexpected. And I, I believe you made really good use of this in the creation of your evocative portrayal of the Morrigan. As I understand it, you were exploring the creative possibilities of a dialogue with AI. Yes, I was, yeah. Um, quite interesting. I, like I said, I'm, I'm almost kind of really interested in, in new processes. I'd been kind of interested in AI stuff for about six months before I heard about the project. I was interested in how it worked. I, I just wasn't really sure how computer-generated images really worked. And my brother is 
really computer kind of tech savvy and stuff like that so I was chatting with him about it you know how can I work on this or whatever and I kind of did a bit of digging online and I found a, a program that would like help me do what I wanted to do but it's basically a, a, a text to image program mm-hmm. you write in a piece of text uh, the computer generates an image it's understanding of that text so it's like having someone listening to you and taking notes and then asking you whether that's what you wanted mm. I suppose it crossed my mind while I was essentially collaborating with AI like I was thinking about God is this cheating you know what I mean like am I am I making the work should I take credit for it because I'm not specifically sitting down and and creating this work myself like I'm asking a computer to generate this image is this authentic should I should I be putting this forward. I was also thinking about the fact that the a- the AI isn't isn't a sentient being. It's not a, a, a something that thinks. You know, it's like a tool. Basically, I see it as a as a painter, much like a painter will use a paintbrush as a tool. I'm using the AI in the same way. I suppose I, what I really like about uh, using AI is, is that it's really accessible. All you need is a phone actually to to make a quick AI generated image. Like, I, I really like... You can't run out of paint. You can't run out of anything. Like, you can just keep generating until the cows come home. Like, you don't need a, a studio space. You don't need any supplies. You just need a laptop or a, or a phone, you know. And I suppose there is a little bit of contention around the topic. Taken away from artists' livelihoods. It's not authentic because, you know, computer generated it. But I'm sure they were kind of saying the same about CGI when that first came out. But if you're like, if you're open about it, then there, there should be no problems with it. You're honest about the fact that you're this is an AI generated image. Like that people know then that you're that that's what it is that they're looking at. But I suppose at the end of it, I really like the way that it can make the untangible tangible is something that's an abstract thought you're asking the ai to work it out and then it's great that you're kind of you're getting this feedback going okay that's kind of what i meant but not really what i meant but i you know i'm going to try it again so basically you see it as another creative medium like a choice of a particular paint or brush shape or and and you get feedback at the same time oh totally like it's kind of yeah it's just really interesting to me that even if you were to put in the same prompt the ai will spit out something different every time you'll never get the same image twice which i really enjoy you can kind of navigate it and and hone in your what you wanted to do for you a bit better every time you know how did you actually set about the process of creating this picture the process now I'm, i'm i'm not going to get too scientific about it mainly because i don't fully understand myself how the old contraption works <laughs> um, I wouldn't worry about that yeah but um, so quite simply go on to this program and you write out short instructions or prompts as they're called and then you basically press go and then the AI works on generating an image based around the prompts that you give it so for example I might type the word tree and press go and the AI would generate a tree but if I can be more specific about the descriptors of that tree then I'll get a more specific image that the AI has generated so I could type in a hazelnut tree all alone in an Irish countryside in the style of Van Gogh's paintings so it will give me a far more detailed image you're inputting this data in you can get different styles of what you want so instead of putting van gogh you could push francis bacon you know so 
what I kind of really like is the collaboration element of this. Like you're kind of collaborating with okay. all genres of art, all styles of art and all time periods of art. So it's really, it's blasted the doors wide open. You can have a, a, a like a collaboration with Van Gogh and Francis Bacon and mush them all together in the AI and see what generates. So it's just, I think it's just so full of possibilities. It's really fascinating. But let's talk about what you put in. Let's talk about your Morrigan. Yeah. It's quite interesting because I must have done about a hundred or more generated AI Morrigans. <laughs> I must have done about a hundred and I actually went back to the original one. Well, one of the original ones anyway. I can't remember fully the prompts I used, but it was something like um, a definition of the Morrigan. The Morrigan represents sovereignty of the land and was seen rallying up warriors um, on the battlefield. Uh, something like that. I would kind of... Um, so I had done so many iterations before that and images that I was getting, these figures I was getting were so still. They were they were stoic and unmoving and they were just kind of not doing anything. They're kind of like, you know, a vacant statue, which I didn't really want. Um I wanted to, I wanted to see the, the Morgan on the battlefield like uh, like a woman rallying warriors into a frenzy. So when I put the in the prompt battle, it was, then I started really getting some kind of sense of movement and um, kind of a more visceral image, you know, because I, I, to me the Morgan isn't a station like a stationary statuesque kind of entity like she you know it, like she's really visceral and you know for my image anyway like she's it looks like she's in the middle of a pitched battle half in and out of transformation that's another one i put in was like the, the fact that she shapeshifts that was another um prompt that was kind of that showed that movement it looked like she was half in and half out of transformation now the morrigan can be many things and i'm um, certainly she she was the uh, herald and she would um um, she was a poet, the battle poet, mm. and battle poets are quite familiar. They appear in Arabic tradition as well, uh, and it was. It's all about communication and passing on the news, and sometimes it's good news and sometimes it's bad news. Mm. But I think you said there was a particular reason why you chose this particular Morrigan, who is part of something which is dangerous and uh, um, violent in some ways. I th- yeah. There was, there was. It was not long after Ashley Murphy was murdered that I was responding to to this, mainly because Mm. there was a huge amount of um, these conversations that bubbled up with the women of Ireland. Um, You know, women's voices in Ireland seemed a lot louder around that time. And like, I suppose the conversations around near misses and direct hits against uh against you know against women like domestic and and gender-based violence and like you know even the simple act of of feeling that good feeling that something's not right do you know what i mean like i I think nearly every woman has a story about a situation Mm. in which they felt uneasy or threatened while just trying to get on with their daily business and i suppose that um that good feeling to me seems otherworldly in itself. Uh, the fact that you're picking up on an energy around you, that you're listening to your body and your, you know, there's hair sticking up on the back of your neck, like, and I suppose you know, with the whole kind of Ashley Murphy um, mm-hmm. thing, like that moment seemed like a very watershed moment of for Irish women. Like we were, we were sharing our stories, mm-hmm. and it seemed to be that 
that this was our battle cry. We were discussing and talking about this is a real problem. The fact that it was down the road in Tullamore, like, you know, it was just, it just seemed really, really at your doorstep. And I suppose that's where I kind of made the connection. This was our battle cry, like we weren't going to be sitting down and talking amongst ourselves about these issues. We're opening the doors and including everyone in the conversation going like this, this can't happen anymore. We need to really have a discussion around mm-hmm. um, gender based violence. And I suppose the Morrigan encouraged warriors to do brave deeds like and and those brave deeds can be as simple as, as sharing your story and speaking out. Yeah. So your Morrigans is a reaction to an event and a need and something that needs to be talked about. And I think in that you caught something that mm. is very specific about the Morrigan. I mean, in the early, in the early text, she's the woman yeah. equal of the Dagdor, the one who comes from the cave of Onigat, regal and red, or the speaker and reporter of victories and defeats and the makers of treaties. If there's something that needs saying... She mm. will be the one to say it. And I really think you've caught something yeah. of all these viewpoints. And more, perhaps. Oh, and by the way, what are you planning to do with the image? Well, at the moment, the image is, is on my little um, Instagram. I did a little sideline Instagram thing where I was testing mm-hmm. the AI. You know, so she, she's up there. She's up on the Insta. Um, but, I mean, it was, it, was, it was so great to be supported by the Irish Post and, 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 and yourselves in story archaeology and promoting this work to a wider audience i mean thank you so much well irie is it's ralph kenner and irie and the setting up of irie that's made this possible oh, absolutely like yeah and it was just it was so lovely to kind of work towards something and kind of learn a bit about where this all fits in you know but i'd love to see i'd love to see us all kind of in in one room together you know uh, and and maybe create space for a, a showcase of the works but for now i suppose my morrigan is is in the digital realm where she was created. And she's up on Story Archaeology. And by the way, it would be lovely maybe if you could send a few other pieces of your work and we'll put a gallery page connected to this uh, this conversation. Oh, absolutely. Oh, for sure. We'll definitely do that. Yeah. But thank you so much for a fascinating conversation today. Thanks so much. It was a lovely conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this Stories in the Landscape conversation. Remember, on www.storyarchaeology.com, you will be able to access the whole archive of Story Archaeology podcasts. You can also explore a wide selection of my audio and video stories for children, as well as a range of project and support materials for schools. Also, discover information on a number of international arts events and competitions with which Story Archaeology is closely linked. There will be another Stories in the Landscape conversation along soon.